0: Ubuntu is making waves with the release of Ubuntu 23.10. System76 announced a new version of their Thalia line, and GNOME might be on the verge of removing XORG. And we got some interesting news from Microsoft. They made a tutorial for installing Linux. That can't be right. Well, all of this and so much more on this exciting and possibly Twilight Zone episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by LinBit. More on them later. The Ubuntu team have announced the latest release of their Ubuntu desktop with the interim release of Ubuntu 23.10. This release is filled to the brim with new features and improvements. And for those that are not familiar with the interim release term, this is when they try new things they add new features and new ideas and that sort of stuff. They do this as a preparation for the next LTS or long-term supported release So we've got a lot to talk about this release because this is the last interim release before the next LTS of 24.04. This release of Ubuntu comes with the latest version of GNOME. So all the cool stuff that you get in GNOME 45, such as the new workspace indicator, full height sidebars, and a bunch of usability and performance improvements are gonna be in this release of Ubuntu. This is also the version of GNOME that comes with the extension issue. And you can learn more about that in the previous episodes with Twill and Destination Linux, which I'll have linked in the show notes. Also in this release of Ubuntu 23.10, they've added tiling window window management support with the addition of the Tiling Assistant extension by default. There's also a new software store in Ubuntu 23.10 called the App Center. This new App Center gives you the ability to manage both snaps and dev packages. It also includes a new rating service that's built in Rust and much more. This version of Ubuntu also introduces a new firmware updater application. The previous iteration of Ubuntu's use of the software application to update the firmware was fine, but it required the application to run in the background, which impacted system performance. This new firmware updater application reduces the resource overhead with a much lighter weight background process due to it being separated from the App Center. And as we discussed in a previous episode of Twill, Ubuntu Desktop 23.10 introduced an experimental feature that makes it possible to do full disk encryption using TPM or trusted platform modules for key storage. Historically, Ubuntu relied exclusively on passphrases for authentic- user authentication for full disk encryption. However, in enterprise environments where fleet machines may be need to share or need to be booted remotely for administrative purposes, Uh, A password requirement to complete the boot process makes device management pretty challenging for them. So it makes sense that this is being done, and I'm very curious to see how this test comes out. Also, speaking of device management, Ubuntu 23.10 also adds new tools for administrators as part of the Ubuntu Pro system. The first tool of this is the new Pro Enable Landscape command that makes it easier to quickly enroll devices to Canonical's fleet management tool. The second is a new addition to ADSYS, the Active Directory GPO, GPO client, that improves networking configuration with certificate auto-enrollment, so those managing mixed Ubuntu and Windows systems will have an easier go of it, and there's also more and more device management ben- benefits as well. Also, the ZFS-guided install was removed from 2304, but it makes its triumphant return with this release of Ubuntu 23.10. And speaking of the installer, it now uses the minimal installation option as the default with additional applications being available in the included version of the expanded installation option. Ubuntu 23.10 also is ready to be used on the new Raspberry Pi 5, plus so many other improvements for the latest version of Ubuntu. There is one thing to note though, as of the recording of this episode, the ISOs for Ubuntu 23.10 are not available to download at the moment. This is due to an unfortunate situation of Ubuntu finding some pretty offensive things in the translations, including some hate speech. As a result, they have taken the images down in order to re them. And it makes sense because I saw a few of the things that were in there, and it's it's just a stupid, ridiculous thing to have to deal with. And the amount of, like, it's kind of sad that someone would spend their time to do that, but, you know, whatever. Ubuntu 23.10 is still available for download right now using the legacy installer option, but the re of the ISOs will likely be available within the coming days. I don't want to end this topic on a download, though, so let's talk about the Ubuntu Summit. This year's Ubuntu Summit is taking place in Riga, Latvia, and I will be attending. In fact, I won't just be attending, I'll also be giving a talk, and my talk is about marketing in open source or open source marketing in general, and also, I'll be moderating a panel for an AMA with the Ubuntu Community Council, and I might be doing a hosting thing or MC thing for a special presentation. We That's not been decided yet. And there's just so much more stuff planned. Be sure to check out the next episode of Destination Linux where I tell you about more of the stuff and also future episodes when we talk about the Ubuntu Summit again. I will tell you the m- more stuff I'm doing because there's so many things it would basically be an entire show of me telling you what all I'll be doing there because I have a lot of stuff planned and I'm very excited about that. And if you learn more about the Ubuntu Summit or the latest release of Ubuntu 23.10, you'll find links in the show notes. There is a merge request under consideration from the GNOME team to drop support for X11, aka XORG. This brings up many questions such as, is this a good move for GNOME? Is this the right time to do this? Will this cause any issues for NVIDIA users? The answers to all of these questions are going to be available in the next episode of Destination Linux, so be sure to subscribe to that podcast, which I'm also on, by the way, if you didn't know that. Ryan, Jill, and I talk about this news and all of these questions in the next episode, which was coming out very soon, so go to destinationlinux.net slash 343 to get my take on this particular news. Although, if it's not out yet, you'll get a 404, but you'll get a 343 when it is out. Red Hat has announced that they're discontinuing a security mailing list. The longstanding RHSA-announce mailing list has been shut down as of October 10th. This mailing list was where people could subscribe to get security advisories for Red Hat Enterprise Linux and a whole slew of other related products. My sources tell me that the basis for this happening is because the legacy code within the software that was used for this mailing list, which is basically some technical debt involved. And then the question becomes, is it worth moving this mailing list to a new version of the software and having to do a manual migration effort versus just changing how they deliver the information? And personally, I'm not a fan of the mailing list, so I kind of get why they'd want to switch away from it. These are This is like a clunky experience at best when, I, when it comes to mailing lists. I don't think this is related to the clone fiasco that has been happening because anyone with a free developer account can still get the information as well as the RSS feed they offer. So I don't really think it's related to that. I think the basis for this deprecation of the mailing list is likely the technical debt for something that arguably isn't used all that much. For example, I was notified by this information thanks to LWN.net and they talked about how they use the mailing list to get the data for sharing on their website. And there were many comments of people thanking them for doing that so they could use their website to get the data even though they could have subscribed to the mailing list before then so my point is mailing lists aren't the best form of communication of data and with the change to delivering this data via json files this might even be better for some people and overall you know so red hat still needs to work on how they pre- they announce things like this though because As soon as I saw this, I knew, yep, they're going to get some hate for this because they're discontinuing something with no notice or anything. And, you know, I get why people are annoyed because it continues to happen. In this case, it's not that big of an issue because not a lot of people use it anyway. And those who do could still get the data pretty easily. So it's not that big of an issue. But at the same time, I get it. I get why it's annoying. If you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in
1: the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by LinBit. LinBit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and LinStore, industry leading open source software defined storage. LinBit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Linbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD Proxy for long distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD. And DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fa- fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's l-i-n-b-i-t.com.
0: It's now time to enter the Twilight Zone because Microsoft has done something that I never thought they would have, and that is to publish a tutorial on how to install Linux. In fact, it's a fairly extensive guide. It's not a super robust guide, but it's still fairly extensive. They talk about the various ways to install linux such as directly on a machine aka bare metal or creating a virtual machine and of course they also mention wsl as an option which is probably the reason this tutorial even exists but it's still kind of crazy that it exists right and then it talks about how to choose a linux distribution it provides steps for installation it even provides information and guides related to what you should do after you install linux And it's it's not the most robust tutorial or anything like that, but I just wanted to cover it on the show because of how mind-blowingly impossible I thought this would have been 10 years ago. And if you want to check out the guide for yourself and enter the Twilight Zone, you can find links in the show notes. The Raspberry Pi Foundation has announced the latest release of the Raspberry Pi OS distribution. The most notable and arguably the biggest change of this release is the new base of Debian on Debian 12 Bookworm. This means that it will come with Linux 6.1 LTS kernel. And with this release, there are two major changes for the Raspberry Pi OS. The first change is the switch to the Wayfire Wayland compositing window manager for the desktop, which is powered by LXDE. I think it's LXDE, might not be anymore, but I'm pretty sure it is. Correct me in the comments if they have changed that. There has also been a lot of other work towards support for Wayland, which is really cool to see. The second major change is the switch to Pipewire as the default multimedia backend instead of Pulse Audio. And I like this switch to Pipewire because this backend is so easy to use for everyday users and professionals. Pipewire is just awesome, and I can't wait for the Pipewire 1.0, which is coming out pretty soon, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Now the latest release of Raspberry Pi OS is supported on many models of the Pi and you can find a full list of all the models that it supports as well as more information about the latest release with the links in the show notes. A few weeks ago, Unity rocked the gaming community and simultaneously rocked their stock price. Unity announced changes that would make game developers pay a fee of up to 20 cents for every game install after the 200,000th lifetime mark and $200,000 a year in revenue. This change would also be retroactive for games already released. It was a plan that left developers both scratching their heads in disbelief and yelling at Unity. The backlash to this was immediate and intense. Indie devs announced they would either be pulling their games or swapping their new, uh, to a new engine, often to Godot, and unsurprisingly, Unity's stock price plummeted. This also put John Ricatello, Unity's CEO at the time, back into the spotlight after the lights dimmed from when he was, as some reports call it, ruining EA games. We talked about this in much more detail in episodes 234 of Twill, so go to thisweekinlinux.com slash 234 for all the details on that. But for a quick summary, Unity announced these changes, received a ton of backlash, and then backtracked their changes to something more reasonable, but in a lot of cases, the damage had already been done. This resulted in John Riccatello resigning as CEO. Now, this topic was already interesting to me as a gamer, but now it's also interesting as a Linux user because former CEO of Red Hat, Jim Whitehurst, has been named the interim CEO for Unity. For a quick timeline for those who hear Red Hat and instantly feel cringe, Jim Whitehurst was the CEO of Red Hat for 12 years prior to the purchasing by IBM. He was appointed president of IBM before he departed the company totally, So you can think of Jim as the CEO when Red Hat was beloved. And if you'd like to learn more about this topic, you'll find links in the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about my opinion related to Red Hat, the CEO, the IBM, the drama, the CentOS saga, and all of that stuff, let me know in the comments, because I think I might make a video about this specifically because it just doesn't seem to stop. I thought maybe after CentOS is no longer around and it's been like end of life and all that, that we would stop talking about this sort of topic, but it seems like it's just gonna keep going. So if you wanna learn more about that, let me know. And if you learn more about this, links in the show notes. System76 announced this week their brand new starter desktop called the Thaleo Spark. Along with this new desktop, they also introduced improvements to the design of the Thaleo line, which includes new IO parts on top of certain models, including USB-A, a a USB-C, headphone jack and mic jacks. Plus they brought over the thermal management from the Thaleo Mega to the rest of the units. So all of them now have ducted CPU cool air intake separated from the GPU intake and optional extra GPU cooling. They say that the Spark is aimed at everyday users with needs like web browsing, emails, office work, and 1080p gaming and that sort of thing. The specs of the Thaleo Spark are as follows. They have the essential line of the Spark, which is a six core 12th gen Intel i5 12400 CPU. It comes with 16 gigabytes of RAM, one terabyte of PCIe SSD storage, integrated graphics, and then we go into the empowered version, which has a 10 core 12th gen Intel i5 12600K CPU, 32 gigabytes of RAM, two terabytes of PCIe SSD storage. AMD Radeon RX 7600 graphics and you can even customize it to and add a bunch of extra features such as up to 64 gigs of RAM, 32 terabytes of storage and you can also get up to an NVIDIA GeForce GeForce RTX 4060 Ti graphics card. Now the new option pricing starts at $999 for the regular price. But it's on debut sale right now at $899. So if this is something you're interested in checking out, you'll find links in the show notes. Ardour 8.0 has been released this week with a major update to this powerful free open-source digital audio workstation. There are a ton of new features in this release, so we're not going to be able to cover everything, but here are the highlights door 8.0 includes full support for the Novation Launchpad Pro Controller, the ability to group regions to move or trim together, a new automation drawing style, redesigned MIDI track header piano roll and scroomer, and a dedicated ruler to arrange a composition by easily moving and or copying sections. Now this new Ardor release also adds the traditional velocity lollipop editing interface for MIDI tracks, whatever that means, and also a new Ace Stereo Routing plugin, as well as MIDI binding maps for the Divine Versa Key, Donner Starry Pad, and the Akai MPC Mini MK1 and MK2, and so much more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Ardour 8.0 or what mo- any of that stuff means, you'll find links in the show notes. <laughs> the OpenWRT project has released the latest stable version with OpenWRT 23.05. This release brings the supported devices up to 1,790 with the addition of 200 new devices that were added in this release. OpenWRT 23.05 also switches to the MBEDTLS Encryptographic Library, adds the ability to include utilities written in Rust, updates the toolchain, and a lot more. For those unfamiliar with OpenWRT, OpenWRT is a Linux operating system targeting embedded devices. Instead of trying to create a single static firmware, OpenWRT provides a fully writable f- file system with package management. And if you'd like to learn more about OpenWRT or this latest release, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you appreciate the fact that I recorded this episode while being sick, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks, like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much more. You can also support the short show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com store. We're also gonna be making a change to a new platform. So there's gonna be new items in that platform and some of the items in the old version are not gonna be coming over. So if you wanna get some legacy stuff, like some OG swag, then you might wanna get it quickly. Otherwise, then you can wait to the next one, which will have even more, maybe cooler stuff. You will see, we'll see. And I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Good News. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell. I hope you're doing swell. I'm currently not. Be sure to ring the notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell. I wonder if you could tell if I was sick until I said it or before. Maybe, it, maybe, maybe it's not that clear, I don't know. Let me know in the comments, because the only way you actually seen if you have seen the very end of the show, when did you realize I was sick? I'm just curious. <laughs>